thankful to be back with you this morning and um, ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me uh, back to Acts chapter 20. Last night we looked at Paul's, some of Paul's final address to the Ephesian elders and the Lord will be with me this morning. I'd like to continue looking at the 32nd verse. If you weren't here last night, Paul had called the elders of Ephesus Together, he had summoned the, the leaders of the church, and he was um, he was really pouring his heart out to them. He he said, "You're not going to see my face anymore," and 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 he begins to instruct them or charge them on what they should do moving forward. Take heed unto yourselves and to the flock, verse 28, over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He hath purchased with His own blood. For I know this that after my Departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. Paul says, I want you to watch and remember that I've been warning you uh, that there's going to be outside influences that are going to come in among the church and they're going to be destructive. And not only that, and this is, this is even uh, probably harder for these men to understand, of your own selves, there'll be men that come up and speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. And so in verse 32, Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God. We looked at that for, a, for a, a, at length last night, that Paul says, I'm entrusting you to God for safekeeping, that I'm giving control to to God I'm, 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 I'm entrusting God with your ministries and with uh, the flock that you're overseers of that, that 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 God would be with you but then he says and to the word of his grace see Paul is saying I entrust you to God and I'm also here's something else that you're going to be entrusted to for safekeeping the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. Don't you, don't you love that Paul said to these elders, he said, I commend you to God. Well, how about this? Don't you love that he didn't say, and to the word of the law. Keep the law. Or to the word of the duty that you have. To the, to, I commend you to the works of the law. Y'all keep those and that'll, that'll be what sustains you. No. As, as Paul is leaving these men, he entrusts them to the message of God's grace. <laughs> grace. I want to talk about grace a little while this morning. I've heard it said that, that, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Have you ever heard that? And we, we are the beneficiaries uh, of God's riches, but, but not on our own or not through our own efforts, through what Christ did for us. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, he says, For you know the grace of God, or the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. <laughs> he says that the grace of God is that Christ uh, took upon him our sins. Christ took upon him our shame. Christ took upon him all the, the deeds and the evil thoughts and everything you've ever done. Christ took those upon him. Christ who was rich in glory. <laughs> Christ, you know, Christ, Christ didn't need to come. 
to have any more glory of his own. Christ was in, was in, was in heaven. Uh, you know, through all, it's almost hard to imagine, isn't it? Through all eternity in perfect union with the Father and the Holy Spirit. But yet Christ, because of, because of God's love, the triune God's love for you, he, in the covenant of grace, and we're going to talk about that for a moment, uh, in the covenant of grace, he agreed to come to earth to take on your filth. The one who was ho thrice holy. <laughs> you can't approach into his presence because he's so holy, yet he took on your filth so that you could be made clean. That's grace, isn't it? That's God's riches at Christ's expense. God, if I could define grace, it would be like this, that grace is, is God taking the initiative in salvation. That is the definition of grace. And, and, and throughout the scriptures, I believe we have the... I believe the Bible, you could sum up the Bible by saying it's the unveiling of God's grace. It is um, one of the main themes of all of Scripture is that, is that God is, is unveiling to his people that he's a gracious God. I love what Brother Mike said last night about the church not being secondary or a second thought. You know, some people, as he explained last night, will believe that or will teach that that God's main focus was, was Israel and, and still is today, and, but they rejected him when he came, so he had to come up with another plan, and that was the church. No, I believe the church was always God's plan. <laughs> it was always God's plan that we would worship in this way. Israel was a type, really, of the church, and, and um, Israel's main purpose was to bring about Christ who could save us by grace. <laughs> The law by itself was never meant to save you. Matter of fact, Paul would say it was our schoolmaster. The, the law would teach us that we couldn't get to God unless it was by grace. That we may be justified by faith, he said in, in the book of Galatians. So just as, just as um, the church was not plan B, you know, some people might even teach that, that grace was plan B. <laughs> that, you know, the law was given so that we could work ourselves to God, but that didn't work, so we had to come up with grace. No, grace was always the plan. Aren't y'all thankful for that? That grace was always the plan of God? Um, I want to I go with you to, to 2 Samuel for just a moment. 2 Samuel chapter 23. I mentioned last words, we studied the last word, or I mentioned last night at Vestavia, we've looked at the last words of David recently. I want you to listen to this. David says, uh, it says in verse 1 of 2 Samuel 23, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun rises, even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. He, 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 through the Spirit of God, he talks about that he must be, you know, pure and clean. And, and, and listen to what he says in verse 5. Can you, can you all relate with this? He says, although my house be not so with God. <laughs> Has anybody ever looked to God's standard and you look at your life and you say, my house isn't what it's supposed to be. My life hasn't been what it's supposed to be. That's what David is saying. But I want, to, I want to show you that even David, before Christ would even come, David would say, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. I believe that's the covenant of grace. The covenant that, that God the Father, the triune God entered into. And listen, 
You know, the part, about, the, the part I love about the, the covenant of grace is we are the beneficiaries of the covenant, but we have no actions that we must accomplish on our end for that covenant to be effective. <laughs> and listen to what he says. He is made with me. He made it with you, <laughs> but there were no conditions for you to meet. He says he is made with me an everlasting covenant. You know, I mentioned that, that grace was plan A. It wasn't plan B. He's saying this is an everlasting and eternal and always covenant that you could say. It's a covenant that went before uh, man was ever formed or created or the world ever began. Paul would say before the foundation of the world. He says he's made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. And listen to what David says. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Although he make it not to grow he says, this covenant of grace that I can look into, I can look at my life and say my life is not measured up to what God has intended me to be, but yet I don't, I, I don't have to despair in that because I can look back to the covenant of grace and I can say that's all my salvation. <laughs> See, it was, it was God's plan forever. Um, in, in, the, in the book of Genesis, you know, we have glimpses of God's grace in the book of in the book of Genesis, in, in, the, in the third chapter, that's the chapter where the fall takes place. By the way, that's our need for grace. If you understand the fall and you understand total depravity, how we are completely corrupt by our, our, our sin nature, then you, you must conclude that salvation must be by grace or it can't be at all, right? So you see in the fall here that man falls into sin and as, as God begins to dole out the punishments you know, to the, the woman, to the man, and to, to Satan or the serpent, he says in, in verse 15, to the serpent, to Satan, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And I want you to notice there's one key word there. God says, I will do it. <laughs> you know, grace is all about what God does, not what we do, right? He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it, the seed of the woman, shall bruise thy head. It means that the, that the, that the seed that would, that would come, Jesus Christ one day would crush the head of the one that got us in this mess. <laughs> he says, he will crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. I believe indicating that there would be suffering. This, this seed of the woman would suffer when it bruised or when it crushed the head of the one who had, who had, who had deceived and defiled the, the, the people of God. <laughs> and, and then he goes on as, he's, as God is, 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 like I said, doling out the punishments. Then we see his graciousness, though. He, he says, um, it says in verse 20 that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And then unto Adam and also to his wife. Remember, um, you know, everything was great in the garden, right? Before the fall. But then it's Directly after the fall, we see that Adam and Eve hide themselves from the presence of God. And, they, and, and God says, where are you? And he says, well, we hid ourselves because we were naked and we had shame. And, and, and listen to what it says in verse 21. And unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. It says that it's, it's, it, and it indicates there that, the, that the Lord sacrificed an animal. to get, Something gave its life so that they could be clean. You know, they, they'd sewed fig leaves together to try to hide from God or try to hide their shame. That's what works will get you, right? Just leave you more scared. If you're, if you're looking to your works to find peace with God, you're going to be just like Adam and Eve. You're going to hide yourself from God. But he says, here, they didn't ask for it. They didn't deserve it. But there's a sacrifice that's made, and God gives them 
coats of skin to clothe them so that they do not have to be ashamed in his presence or in the presence of others. If you go to, to chapter 6, we've seen grace in the garden. Now there's grace before the flood. You know, this is, there's a, Brother Michael preached a sermon series once, uh, all, all I needed to know I learned in Genesis. <laughs> you know, in the first 11 chapters, so there's a lot that you can learn about the world in the book of, in the book of Genesis. Well, uh, time has passed, and it says in verse 5 of chapter 6, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repents me that I have made them. See, the stench of sin had made its way to heaven, and, and, and God is saying, I'm going to wipe it all out. <laughs> but yet he was going to carry on, because the Redeemer was going to come, right? His plan would not be thwarted. And it says in verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> Don't you love how grace always runs downhill? It goes from God to man, never from man to God. It says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not that Noah earned grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he, he found the unmerited favor of God in the eyes of the Lord. There was grace in the flood. You know, I won't spend a lot of time there, but you can go to, I believe it's Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham and Isaac are going up that mountain, and I believe you see grace on the mountain. <laughs> God had called Abraham to, to offer his only begotten son, Isaac, his special son. And as they climb that mountain, Isaac is, is bearing the wood that they would build the altar. Or they would build the altar. And the altar is erected and, and Abraham puts his son upon the altar. And he pulls his, his arm back with the knife in his hand. But the angel of the Lord, don't y'all love that? The angel of the Lord comes to him and he says, stop. He says, I see now that you're going to do what I what I've called you to do, and they look over and there's a ram caught in the thicket. And it says that they sacrificed that ram instead of his, in the stead of his son Isaac, indicating that there would be a substitutionary death that would take place one day. I believe it was pointing to Jesus who would be offered on that mountain. And, and why would he do that for you? Because it's by grace, right? It's by grace. It's God's grace. I, start, I hope you're starting to see why Paul would say, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Our churches should be, I believe, all about the grace of God. Um, you know, one of the things I've tried to tell our church back home is I, I want to be grace-focused because that is the focus of Scripture, right? When, when Jesus says... Um, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. Um, in, in many ways, he's saying the scriptures are all about grace because the law was given by Moses, John says, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. See, we have glimpses of grace in the Old Testament, but aren't you, aren't you so thankful that, that in the New Testament, we're a New Testament church, right, Brother Ronald? And if we should be a New Testament church, then we shouldn't be about the law that was given by Moses. We should be all about the grace and truth that was given by Jesus Christ. And so when Christ came to earth, that is the manifestation of God's grace. You know, uh, the fact that Jesus came uh, 
to earth to die for us should be a, a freeing message, shouldn't it? <laughs> I've told people before um, back home that, you know, it is so uh, just, it is stressful and, it, and it, it'll wear you out trying to pretend you're something that you're not. <laughs> trying to, trying to uh, you know, fake like you're so righteous, like fake like you've got it all together. The fact that Christ came to die outed you that you don't have it all together, right? You, you don't, you're not righteous on your own. You, you don't have what it takes to be righteous before God or to make all the right decisions or to live all the right ways. But Christ came to show you that he was going to give you grace. I want to read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul would encourage this, young, this minister by saying, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be the partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according. Why, why were you saved? Why have you experienced this holy calling? Just like Paul, just like Timothy, just like we have today. It was not according to your works, but it was according to his own purpose and grace. Aren't you? Last night we talked about God being concerned with you, actually being intimately involved in the everyday uh, ins and outs of your lives and he cares for what you do but aren't you glad that he saved you on purpose <laughs> he intended to save you <laughs> it wasn't some accident you weren't it wasn't a lottery system where you know it was just that like the powerball you know you ever seen them on tv they suck up one number and god said i'm gonna i'll, I'll just by chance we'll save that one no he looked down and saw you <laughs> and he said i'm saving that one because i love that one and he saw me and he said, it is my purpose, it is my intention, it is my design to save them by my grace. And he says this purpose and grace was given us in Christ Jesus, once again, before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It is, it is, it is. It was it is the, the coming of Christ that was the manifestation of God's grace. And, 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 and so the, the gospel that we preach as New Testament saints should be all about God's grace. Back to Acts 20 uh, for just a moment. If you remember back to the 24th verse, he said he, he knew that, that afflictions were abiding him, that bonds were, were waiting on him. But he says, I want to finish my course with joy. And he says to testify the gospel of the grace of God. <laughs> he says, what I, want, what I want to go to Jerusalem to preach is not a returning to the law. It's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's grace. And notice he says to testify the good news of the grace of God. The, the gospel, the good news that we are... Remember, remember Jesus when he came preaching in Mark 1. We talked about this for a moment last night. He said, repent and believe the what? The gospel. And what is the good news about? It's about the grace of God. The good, the good news is not, um, you know, what God has done for you and, and here's what you've got left to do so that you can merit salvation. No, the gospel message, the good news is here's what Christ has done and it was enough. Here's what God has done and it was sufficient. Here's when Christ went to the cross, he was successful. That's the gospel message, isn't it? It's, it's the great, um, I've, heard of, I've heard of the grace plus, you know, there's, there's, there's the grace plus plan, the grace but plan. Have y'all ever heard that? 
Have you ever heard somebody, I've heard many a sermons. There's a Christian radio station back home that I listen to, and I've heard, I've heard wonderful sermons preached. And then you get to the end of the sermon, and they say, now, if you want this to be effective for you. <laughs> See, that's the grace but doctrine. And, and I've heard it said before, if, it's the gra- if, if you say salvation's by grace but, you just butted out all the grace. It's no longer grace, right? If it's grace plus something, whether that's your works, whether that's your belief, whether that's your acceptance, then that's not grace because grace plus nothing equals salvation. Grace, you just thought, what a perfect name for a radio station. Grace alone, right? Grace, salvation is by grace alone. I love that. You know, Paul said, Paul said to the Galatian, the Galatian church was, was, was impacted by this grace but doctrine, right? That, that salvation's by grace, but you need to keep the law, or you need to keep the dietary laws, or you need to be circumcised. Or you need, and you know what Paul says? He gets right into it. Uh, see, see, I believe Paul, Paul was blown away that there would be a New Testament church that would get so far away from grace that they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, delight in that message, <laughs> And he, he starts by saying this in the sixth verse of chapter one. He says, I marvel. Paul is saying, I am blown. Have you ever looked at something and you just marvel over it? Uh, maybe it's, um, you know, the mountains or, or the ocean or, or, or some, you know, just uh, unbelievable, awesome scene or, or act. And you just, you stand there in awe. Paul says that it is so baffling to him that somebody would leave the message of grace that he marvels at this scene. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. (laughs) What, what, What Paul is saying is there is no other gospel than the gospel of grace. There are a lot of messages that go under the the, the heading of the gospel, but unless it's the gospel of grace, it's not the gospel because there is no other message than the gospel of grace. And he says, there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, which is the gospel of grace. Salvation is by grace alone. I want to, you don't have to turn here, but I want to, there's a parenthetical statement in Ephesians chapter 2 which I love it's five words it's in the fifth verse and, and and Paul says to the Ephesian saints he says by grace ye are saved five words right and, and I've said this many times you if you've heard me before you may have heard me say it <laughs> but if your soteriology that is the doctrines you believe about salvation, how man is saved, do not fit into that parenthetical statement in verse 5, then it is not biblical soteriology. By grace you are saved. There are, there are verses in scripture that may talk about salvation or talk about redemption that, that may leave you questioning exactly what does this mean. You know, it's funny that, that the, the eighth verse of, of Ephesians 2 there's, there's a lot of debate even among uh, brethren who agree on grace altogether. What is the faith that's there? Is it the new birth? Is it the faithfulness of Christ? Is it the fidelity of the Holy Spirit? What is it? Well, I've got, I've got thoughts on that too, but I can tell you this. If whatever it is has to fit into that parenthetical statement in verse 5, or it's not salvation by grace. 
See, salvation is by grace alone. And so the implications of that means that God is not bound by time. It's never too late for God. Isn't that amazing? It's never too late for God. He's not bound by, by money. It's good to give to the church and give to the cause and give to good efforts, right? We should do that. But God doesn't need your money to save anybody. He's not. Here's, here's the one thing that a lot of, lot of us, a lot of people don't, don't like to hear. He's not dependent upon man. There was a, a preacher back home in Birmingham wrote a very popular book. And one of the, um, one of the chapters, the title of the book was, we are, speaking of plan A and plan B, the title was, we are plan A and there is no plan B. And his, his message was that, that we must go out with the gospel and if we don't do that, there are millions upon millions who will never hear the word and will never live in heaven. <laughs> if I ever write a book, maybe y'all put it out there. <laughs> I'm going to put God as plan A <laughs> and there is no plan B. God's grace was plan A. His grace, his salvation can reach anybody, anywhere, anytime. Because salvation is in the hands of God, not in the hands of man. I don't think you can understand the Bible without understanding grace. You tell me, how was that rotten thief? How did he go from reviling the Lord to a few hours later in paradise with the Lord? That was grace. How did Cornelius had never heard the gospel? He'd never met the preacher, but yet he's giving alms. He's giving, he's giving his money, his time to the, to the poor, to the, to, to the needy. And, and it says that his prayers had come up before God, to the throne room of God. You know, God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. How was Cornelius righteous before the preacher could get to him? Grace got to him. You ever read Revelation 5, 9, Revelation 7, 9? We get a picture of heaven, don't we? And it's a people out of every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue. Languages that, that came and went before the gospel ever went forth. People groups that have never been reached by the preacher or by the church, but God could reach them. You can't understand those verses if you don't understand grace. I believe in big grace. Don't y'all? Big grace. Sometimes grace is preached in such a limited way that it's only the, me and a few others that are going to be in heaven. That's not grace. I believe people, I, I believe, I, I, well, I don't know if I believe this, but I like to think it anyway. There's going to be some shocked people in heaven. <laughs> There's going to be some preachers that get there and they say, how did that one get here? I thought I was coming and they were out. <laughs> There may be some preachers that get up there and they want to say, they, they, may, they may say, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to get there and meet all the people that I helped get to heaven. <laughs> it's going to be a short receiving line for them, isn't it? <laughs> because salvation is by grace. Are y'all getting this? <laughs> and it's big grace. It's not just the grace to save some unreached people group that we see in Revelation 5 or Revelation 7. It's grace to save me. It's big grace. It's grace to save you. And don't ever get to thinking that you don't need grace. <laughs> we need grace. 
It's God's big grace. And I believe that the message of grace, that is what he commended them to. I, I give you to the Lord for safekeeping, and I recommend that you stay all your time, all your focus, he says, on the message of his grace. And I believe the message that Paul left for the Ephesian elders or the recommendation there is good for us today, isn't it? Um, you know, he didn't leave them, like I said earlier. He didn't say, you know, a lot of times I've heard debates through the years, like, should a preacher preach more on grace or preach more on duty, people's duty? <laughs> uh, you know, what they should be doing. Well, Paul's not indicating in any way that, that all I should do is get up here and preach grace every Sunday. He already said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. But he's saying when, when, when hard times are coming, when you've lost a loved one, do you want to hear about how much you should give to the church? <laughs> when you've lost a loved one, do you want to, do, 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 what do you want to hear? You want to hear about grace, don't you? When hard times are coming, when hard times are there, you want to hear grace. He didn't motivate them through shame or through some kind of, you know, false sense of guilt. He, he left them with grace. And, and, and that's why we should be so focused on grace because grace is, let's look at what grace does. He says, which is able. You know, he's saying there that the message of God's grace some people would say if you preach grace uh, too often, it'll make people lazy. <laughs> you know, it'll, it'll, it'll neglect their duty to, to live uh, in obedience to God and to his word. Well, that's not what Paul thought, is it? Paul said the message of grace is able to build you up. That means that the message of grace, it contains the inherent power of the ability to help you, <laughs> to build you up. That's what he says, to build you up, to, to strengthen you, to comfort you. See, the message of God's grace, I believe in the times when I have seen God's grace for what it is, those are the times that I have most wanted to serve God for who he is. And he says the message of God's grace is able to build you up. I heard this recently and I, and I went to confirm it. And it said there was, a, there was the, the head of one of the largest mental uh, hospitals or institution in England once said that I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could truly understand or feel like they were forgiven. And Paul says, I leave you to the word of his grace. Nothing else allows you to experience the forgiveness that you have like the message of grace. And because salvation is by grace alone, that frees you. You know what that means? This is, this is mind-blowing. That means today, whatever you did this morning, <laughs> whatever you did last night, whatever you did this week, however you've fallen short, whatever you've done years ago, whatever, you know, some people are haunted by things they did years ago before they even came amongst the church or heard the gospel or, or submitted to baptism, and, and it bothers them year after year and Satan uses that to, uh, to buffet them listen if salvation by grace is by grace that means that God loves you today as much as he will ever love you he can't love you anymore and he will never love you any less than he loves you right now 
That's the message that will build you up on it. And he says, and to give you, he closes by this, to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. That, you know, when you, have an, when you have an inheritance, that's something you possess and something you enjoy, right? I believe today I'm among those that are sanctified. I believe today in the church of God, in the visible kingdom of God, we are among those which are sanctified, have been cleansed, and have, have dedicated themselves. Not only have they been sanctified by God, but they are sanctifying themselves. They are dedicating themselves to God. And I stand here as a man who's tried to preach for, I guess, nine years now, and I can tell you that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, want, to, I wouldn't want to bring my head in this building among you if I didn't believe in grace. It is the message of grace that allows me to enjoy meetings like this. It is the message of grace that allows me to stand before the people back home and minister to them. When I feel unworthy and I feel, uh, I feel that I don't have the ability to do that, I think about grace. And the best times I've ever had have been, with, have been among my family and among my family at church. And, 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 and the reason that, that I have the ability to enjoy, to possess and enjoy time among people like you and among the people that I try to minister to is because I believe in grace. If it wasn't for grace, I wouldn't be here. If I had to look back on my life and think, that's the person God was calling to preach, I would be so embarrassed. <laughs> we watched Jeopardy last night. I've never watched that before. And I'm never watching that again. I'm more of a Will of Fortune guy. I was amazed that they even, I, didn't, I couldn't even understand how it was played, not much less answer one of the questions. There was one category, golf. I kept thinking, go to golf, go to golf. And apparently they didn't know much about golf because they avoided that one. If I had to look to my IQ or my GPA <laughs> to think I deserve to be among those people, I would be burnt. But if I look to God's grace, it gives me the ability to come among you and enjoy my time together with you. And the same message that God gave to those elders is the same message we need today, grace. Grace frees you to serve the Lord. Come ahead, Brother Mike.